So what do you mean when you say it has nothing to do with the ANC as party, but rather ANC as government? And what are the possible scenarios that are likely to play out as a result of this call? No, but I mean, perhaps I was I was misunderstood in the sense that uh, there, is, there is a relationship between the ANC as a political party and ANC in government. And what I was attempting to suggest is that it actually appears as if the one, the ANC outside government, increasingly appears to disagree with what the ANC is doing inside of government. So there appears to be a state, a government, which is run by the ANC, the majority political party, which is taking certain decisions, for example, uh, the one about pursuing uh, charges against its its finance minister. Let's just be very clear. It is its finance Mm -hmm. minister because they appointed this finance minister. But increasingly, the ANC uh, outside of government and now increasingly inside of government also with, with suddenly a few ministers suddenly finding their voices, disagreeing with what is going on. Now, there's something quite curious going on, Sakina, uh, and that is that in this absurd or seeming absurdity between this fundamental disagreement between different parts of the ANC, the, that ANC as party and that ANC inside the state, Quite apart from what looks like quite an odd relationship between the two, it also leaves us with this idea that we can only think about this relationship between the two ANCs in one of three ways. First is that they are either horribly inept and they don't know what one is doing, why it's doing it, what its rationale and purpose is. The second is that if it's not inept, then it is at least malicious and manipulative because there's a manipulation of state institutions and it is done with a particular purpose in mind, that is to protect certain individuals or to pursue particular economic interests of a particular cabal or a set of people inside of that network of relationships. And worse, it is both inept and it is malicious, which is obviously the worst kind of effect and impact or combination uh, on on society uh, if one thinks about it. And I think we can see this coming through in the way in which there's this increasingly what appears to be irrational behavior uh, and somewhat 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 irrational and erratic behavior of course uh, of its senior leaders and Mr. Mtembo is simply one example of it now what he appears to be saying sounds fantastic is all the right things well almost all the right things but the question one has to ask is why after the replacement of a finance minister who incidentally was appointed to cabinet by this very president who people uh, claim is pursuing him for for malicious purposes or because they want him out the way because he's politically inconvenient. But the question they don't ask is, why was he appointed in the first place? But let's let's just accept that maybe there is a moral crusade, maybe there is an ethical crusade. But the question one has to ask is, why defend the party, the person... Uh, who appears to be so malicious and who's being manipulated by an outside set of actors, why did they sit through scandal after scandal? And we can name them repeatedly. Manipulation of public institutions, particularly in the security and justice cluster, the appointment of people who courts have deemed by the president to have been irrational and imprudent, the Nkandla scandal, the landing of an aircraft, private aircraft, breaching our security protocols at a military air force base, uh, 
the building of Nkandla, the replacement of a finance minister at a time in which uh, the economy was so volatile, sitting through massive unemployment and increasingly low rates of economic growth, in fact, no economic growth. And suddenly, uh, the chief whip decides it's a convenient time to now stand up. So it's one of two things. One is that clearly the tide inside the ANC is changing, and it appears as if it's safe for some people to speak up, firstly. And secondly, if you listen carefully to what Mr. Mtembo is saying, and increasingly, even what is being said by those people who purportedly support one side of the divide, the good guys, so to speak, Increasingly, they are saying this not because it is for the good of the country, that it might be, but that to me sounds to be their unintentional motive. Their real motive is about protecting the power and the hegemony of the ANC, which is increasingly at risk. Now, that's appropriate for a political party, but the question you've got to ask is, why does this only matter when your hold on power is at risk, but not when you make fundamentally unethical decisions which are increasingly bad for society as a whole. So this is just about protecting the party, not about protecting the society. And I think those of us in the public sphere must increasingly realize that actually we've got to think about preserving our ethical norms, standards, and values, and our political morality increasingly outside of the main actors of the ANC rather than inside of it. And then looking at the criticism that uh, this has drawn, uh, the MKMVA chairperson, Kebi Mapatswe, talking about uh, the chief of Jackson Mtembo creating a parallel NEC within Parliament. Do you think there's any credence to that? No, I think, frankly, it's, it's, it's rubbish, uh, simply because this is not a person who's speaking from their own shirt pocket. This is a person who was appointed by the party uh, to be its beachhead political representative in Parliament. So this is this is the guy who is representing the ANC's interest as a collective in Parliament, in the legislative sphere. That of course doesn't mean that they do things of their own in terms of their on terms of the ANC protocol. But they are of course entitled to speak out. Now Mr Mapatswe and whoever else is on that side of the divide, of the ANC divide or the faction or however you want to now characterize it. Uh, is is also frankly talking nonsense because if you just think about the number of cabinet ministers, those who are also NEC members, those who are cabinet ministers, NEC members, but also SACP members, for instance, or one of the senior members of other alliance partners, are increasingly all speaking out. And they're not speaking out simply because they're speaking out of their own behest. They are speaking out because their organizations or organs or institutions in that organization have maintained them to do so. So increasingly, uh, and, this is, and this is what gives you the evidence for why it appears as if the tide is turning, because more and more people are prepared to speak out, are prepared to take a side, are prepared to actually say that what is going on uh, is wrong and you're not doing it uh, in the name of, of, of the ANC, firstly, and you're not doing it in the name of those of us who are purportedly representatives of the ANC. So the thing here is that, and, and I have some sympathy for some of them, because it looks as if increasingly they all have to speak from both sides of their mouths. Um, but, of course, there is, there is something to be said about the inconsistency of the behavior of those who appear to be the good guys. Because, you know, if you, if you think about the opening gambit I was, uh, in which I was speaking, it is about saying they sat through a number of serious scandals. I mean, it was very clear that these kind of noises ought to have been made 
long ago, there were sound arguments made for why there ought to be either a recall or a discussion of recall of President Zuma. Uh, that ought to have been happen- happened a long time ago. Uh, and so it is curious that it starts to happen now only. And if you listen again carefully at to what Mr. Jackson Tembu is saying, not that what he's saying is ethically wrong, but he's simply saying that the point came after the local government elections of 2016. Not before that, but there were fundamentally good reasons why this call had to be made long before that. So the inconsistency that Mr. Mapazzo and others of his ilk point to is true. Uh, It is there, it is glaring, it is evident. But it doesn't negate the argument which is being made by the other side about the kind of poor leadership, unethical leadership, the way in which uh, not just public institutions are being manipulated, but also the way in which they are being hollowed out. So this does point to an increasingly uh, myopic ANC, both inside and outside of the state and the way in which it runs government. Now, what processes it wishes to follow inside its party, that's its own business. For us, the real impact or the real issue is what kind of impact does it have on society? And I think that impact is clear for all of us to see. Mm. Increasingly inept government, poor economic growth, no jobs, lack of trust in the way in which government behaves, the inability to uh, attract investment, the inability even to convince your own domestic private sector to open its wallets and invest in the economy. So, so just finally, speaking of that impact on society, this call for the dissolution of the uh, ANC-NEC, do you think that that will go any way at all in est- uh, restoring the electorate's confidence in the ANC? I think we've. I think that that's 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 we we're a little past that point. Unless there is something dramatic that happens, uh, and it's very hard to see how that can happen is to increase stability, firstly. Secondly, to ensure that public, uh, at least public institutions, uh, are not seen to be manipulated primarily, not just in the security cluster, but also uh, the public broadcaster. I mean, where on earth do you hear someone going to tell Parliament, the second highest, the second most powerful body in our body politic after the Constitutional Court, which has immense powers, that they are unable to question what happens in the public broadcaster. I mean, that is just absurd. So if you if you don't have that kind of behavior, the consistent undermining of our public represent, representatives, the sidelining of parliament, an overweening executive which appears to increase with, uh, uh, behave with increasing impunity, and people appointed by it behaving with increasing impunity, uh, then you can restore public confidence. But the reality is that public confidence comes about when there's greater economic participation in society, a greater number of people who have jobs, uh, at least a modest level of economic growth, and fundamentally in our society, bridging the divide of the massive inequality and engaging in better redistribution. So, you know, sometimes one even once is tempted and seduced by this argument that, look, all of the stuff that's going on is about realigning political forces, it's about decolonization, it's about showing the middle finger to those who've always been colonized and those who've always captured the state. Well, if it were simply about that, where is the evidence? Where's the new economic players? Where's the new industrialists? Where's the more, Where's the greater participation in the economy? Where's the changing nature and character of the economy? Well, if you can't show and point to any evidence of that, then why should we believe that this is about a decolonization project? So it does, I'm afraid, uh, seem quite absurd. It, they seem quite inept in the way in which they're behaving. Uh, it is increasingly erratic. And so I'm not sure that you know public confidence will be restored anytime soon.